This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. I just want to give a quick thanks to Euro Classics for sponsoring this episode. Euro Classics is all about collector cars, from servicing your new BMW M5 to prepping your Porsche for the racetrack to executing a total restoration on your favorite classic. They do it all from routine maintenance to performance upgrades to appraisals and everything in between. You can learn more about its owner, Dale Oaks, by listening to episode number 65 of this podcast. And you can find Euro Classics in the Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana service area and online at euroclassics.com. Classics, C-L-A-S-S-I-X dot com. Well, welcome back to the Collector Car Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. I've got a fun interview happening right now, so I'd like to welcome New Nguyen. New, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Greg. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because we were connected through social media, through a mutual friend, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Mm -hmm. And I found what you were doing to be pretty interesting, especially in the car world, and I just wanted to see, you know, kind of talk about your role, what you do day to day. But then I also want to kind of go back and see how your passion for cars began. So to kick it all off, can you tell us what do you do today? Presently, I feel on vacation right now. But <laughs> uh, my <laughs> my normal regular job, I work at Saf Tuning as a technician. Uh, my present job, I'm in the middle of a mechanical restoration for a 1993 928 GTS. Uh, my main job is working on the older uh, Porsches, and I'm just starting with the water-cooled classic Porsche myself, actually. Uh, but I've spent uh, a few years with the air-cooled Porsche, and I went through the Porsche Classic certification a couple of years ago. So I was amongst the first in North America to be Classic Porsche certified. Yeah, that's very interesting. If if you would give a brief overview of what Porsche Classic is, and you know, kind of like a little insight into into the certification process, because I know I'm in Cincinnati. I know that we recently received, I believe, we received certification at one of our dealerships. It's a pretty big deal. I've had Ray Schaefer on, who is from uh, the corporate headquarters. Just kind of an overview of what mm -hmm. that is, and kind of like what does it take to get to that level. I would say a few years ago. PAG, Porsche Head Office, started a curriculum for the dealerships to be Porsche certified, which includes on the sales side, but on the uh, after-sales side, uh, I can't remember how many classes in total, but all of the training in near, it's outside of, uh, of LA, it's in Ontario, California. There are several classes you go through the different disciplines, engine, fuel, and ignition, 
chassis, um, all of the subgroups within the vehicle. Um, you go through service and rebuild uh, parts. Another portion of the classic emphasis is also bringing back production of a lot, a lot of the classic parts. So one of the things I love about Porsche is the support that they've maintained for the classic vehicles. And in order to support them, it's not just with the parts, but with service as well. Because a lot of the techs, um, the older guys PDI these vehicles when they were new rolling off facilities, the factory. Um, but a lot of the people, the new techs working in the dealerships, they don't have any training or first-hand experience with the classic cars. So PAG rolled out this curriculum for certification, and I was in North America's first class. Wow, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. there are several classes, and then once you've completed the classes, I honestly can't remember how many classes there are right now, there uh, is a practical and theory certification exam as well. Wow, okay. And so for my listeners, it's pretty interesting, this whole classic version, because I know like Mercedes-Benz has one, Ferrari has one, Aston Martin has one, and it, it kind of makes a lot of sense. I mean, you've got these companies that are restoring old Porsches or whatever it might be. And, you know, it's a full-on business, these restoration shops. And then you have a lot of aftermarket suppliers. And so it makes a lot of sense for the corporations to go, wait a minute, you know, we're the true experts. It should be kept in mouth. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. We're the true experts. We came up with these things. You know, what if we make the parts back to OEM, you know, so they're they're the best parts Mm -hmm. in the world? What if we have our mechanics trained? And what if, you know, you have certification? So it does actually add value to the car afterwards if it is professionally restored by one of these classic departments. Is that correct, or am I just rambling on? <laughs> no, that's exactly correct, because a lot of these classic owners, you know, some of them, some people swear by bringing it back to the dealership, but like, as I was saying, I'm not a lot of techs have all that experience with the classic cars, so owners would, you know, be taking them to independent shops. This now allows Porsche to keep that work in-house, which is which I think is important. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, that's very interesting. And you did say four words earlier that caught me a little off guard. You said classic water-cooled Porsches. And I thought, wait a minute, I got the first year, and that's in 1999. <laughs> Was there one before that? And, and yeah, it is a classic. So tell us a little bit about your foray into the water-cooled world of 911s. Uh, the water-cooled Porsche would include the 928, the 944, the 968, and now we include the 996. But my first foray into the classic water-cooled, in 2019, Porsche Canada had a restoration competition within the dealerships, and this was to uh, showcase and launch the classic certification. And for the classic uh, restoration, my dealership, got a nine an eighty seven nine forty four turbo and it was uh, it was my pleasure to restore this vehicle so I spent eleven months dedicated to the vehicle restoring it to almost better than new <laughs> wow i am I am supremely proud of the time I spent on the vehicle and that was my first time spending any time on these uh, these front engine transaxial uh, water cooled Porsche but being able to strip it down to the level that I did and go through each and every part and renew it. If I couldn't replace it, then I would renew it. Gave me an intimate knowledge of the vehicle that I just, you know, you can't really find that in your day-to-day technician job. 
Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I'm always thinking 911, 911 water-cooled. But, yeah, there's a lot of other Porsche models prior to the 996, which debuted in 1999, that were water-cooled. And, honestly, those are the ones that have appreciated the most recently in the marketplace. It seems like they're getting a lot of love. Uh, would you agree with that? They like, are. Yeah, like the 928 GTS, you know, those types of cars. Yeah, well, the 911s are, I don't think there's many available on the market anymore. <laughs> um, right. They've been snapped up you know, between Singer and all these other Westomod uh, companies, uh, now the, I think the, the growth is in these water-cooled Porsche, these air-cooled, uh, sorry, these classic water-cooled models. Yes, and I did just do a recent episode where I had the most valuable model Porsche from every model and generation, and I was shocked at the numbers on the 924s and the 968s. Uh, pretty impressive. So if you wish to have one of these classic water-cooled Porsches, like I like to say, Get it now while you can because they're going up in price. So get them now while they're affordable. <laughs> they, they really are. I just saw one go for north of $100,000. I think it was $130,000, uh, wow. which just floored me. I didn't expect that. Yeah. Wow. That is crazy. Okay. Now we're going to take a little break from our regularly scheduled podcast interview to welcome Rob Signum. Rob, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. Yeah, no problem. Now, I know that you are heavily involved in and run the Amer America's Packard Museum. Is that correct? That's right. Um, America's Packard Museum in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, we're the only Packard Museum that's operating out of an original Packard dealership, which was built in 1917 in Dayton. Oh, that's really cool. And I wanted to have you on the podcast for a brief comment about a cool event you have coming up. So if you could, could you tell us a little bit about the museum and then your event that's coming up in way for my listeners to find out more about it? Absolutely. We opened the museum's doors in 1992, and we have been steadily growing ever since. We are having our 30th anniversary gala spring fling on April 22nd and 23rd, and we have a wonderful weekend planned filled with uh, dining and dancing and keynote speaker, uh, some tips and tricks for detailing and judging your automobile, as well as a tour of a private local collection. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more and get involved? If you could go to our website at www.americaspackardmuseum.org, you can register for the event and find out a lot more information about America's Packard Museum. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. All right, now we're going to jump back into the normal podcast. Well, okay, so we learned what you're doing today. We learned really what you're actually doing today. <laughs> and, you know, some of the stuff you do for Porsche and now this uh, new en endeavor you're on. Tell us, how did you get involved in the car world? What was your what was your first car? What was the one that really hit you? And, you know, you kind of got the, the bug to uh, restore and work the on bug. cars. Um, what got me initially was was when I started driving when I was 16. I just really enjoyed being in the car, uh, but I understood the how the industry works, that it is, it is male-dominated. There's a lot of stigma that women are taken advantage of because we don't understand what's going on with the cars, and so it was my mission to understand and be educated and informed whenever I needed work done on my car. The scene here in Toronto was actually quite welcoming, and so I always spend time with uh, with a lot of car guys and spent time at the shop and I just asked questions and learned and I'm a tinker by nature but I didn't get into the trade until I was 30. I was doing a lot of other odd jobs 
But when I was 30, I was put into a position where I needed to think about my future, the, you know, the future of my career. And so I left my office job and just took a chance on myself. I found a shop that would take me in and teach me. And then within a year and a half, I was hired as an apprentice by a brand new Porsche dealership. And it really just took off from there. Um, I started my air-cooled training from there. And I really just headlong into, into my career, into the Porsche world. I love getting into the cars. That's actually why I, I chose the Classic. It puts me in a different category out of the gen pop, as I call it, for the workload. Uh, and just being able to, when you work on the Classic cars, there's, more, there's, there's a different kind of work than when you're working on the new cars that are still under warranty. I feel like it, I delve deeper into the cars. I'm repairing them in a different way than when you're diagnosing and repairing these new cars with all these toys. Um, and I love this, this kind of work. If you would, speak to some of the challenges you faced being a woman in a predominantly male industry. Um, you, know, you know, maybe not specifics if you don't want, but just you know, some of the stuff you were challenged with and then advice you would have for someone who would like to follow in your footsteps? Honestly, Greg, I've been incredibly lucky in that I've had support from my coworkers, everyone. Even when I go to training in the U.S., everyone's incredibly supportive. I know there is a lot of, there is, there are many examples of women having a hard time in the trade, but you have to understand that there's a lot of support as well and that I feel like even though they're, they seem to be the loudest and the noisiest, the people who don't support are the, are the few. And mm. if, that's what you're coming, if that's what you're facing, then you know, there's another door where there are people supporting. And while it is important to stand your ground, it's also important, like I find, I, I truly believe that I wouldn't be where I am or as successful as I have been if not for the support of my peers. If I had to swim upstream and against the current the whole time, I, I would feel much more exhausted. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. And that's really refreshing to hear that, you know, any challenges you had weren't necessarily huge. Not, not that you didn't have big challenges, but there was a nice support network around you in which to lean on for advice and to get you through it. So that's really great. And that's one thing I've actually noticed about the car world in general. It's just full of such wonderful folks and so many of them just want to figure out ways to help others. Uh, that is, it's a really neat environment in which to work in. So that's really nice to I hear agree. your perspective on it. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I, I find it very lucky. I, I do know that a lot of women have, you know, a lot of, face a lot of resistance. Mm. I, I've been lucky to not, to not have experienced that much or hardly any really. Um, it is out there, and, and it's heartbreaking when I see it because some people are just absolutely nasty. But I feel like most of those people are not people that actually pick up the wrench and get their hands dirty. It's just trolls and, you know, people who have nothing better to do. Right, right, yeah. Okay. Well, now let's talk about your love for Porsches. Was there a particular Porsche? Was it the one you, were, you worked on? Was it the first one you drove? And do you, like other, do you have a passion for cars outside of rear-engine ones? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have a passion for cars outside of rear engines. Before I started working on Porsches with, with Porsches, I didn't have an appreciation for Porsche as a brand. I didn't understand them until I started working on them. And once I did just 
the engineering makes more sense to me than than any other brands. Um, how they've how they've approached problems, not problems, but how they've approached the design makes sense to me. Um, how they've positioned things, the rear engine. I mean, honestly, if you're working on a rear engine car, it's made to come out for you to uh, for you to work on it. It's not overly cumbersome to drop the engine to work on it. It just makes so much more sense to me than, than other brands. Um, but I do have a love for, for other brands. I love classic cars in general. I love classic American cars. Uh, but I love new cars as well. I think, I think overall, what, for me, it's human ingenuity, how, how we are always constantly um, finding new things to address the same needs. But we're constantly constantly changing and evolving and inventing new ways to do things. Uh, I, I just love that. One of one of my favorite pieces of technology that we've that humans have developed is the differential. That blows my mind. And I know I know that's been around for for so long. But just to think of a human mind coming up with this device to address a problem such as you know, dif are the different wheels on the same axle traveling different lengths to uh, to approach a corner or to take a corner? That just blows my mind. Now that's really great. Now speaking of you know, you like the different things about these cars, the technology involved. Would you ever own a super basic car like a Ford Falcon from 1963 six cylinder? <laughs> I would. I would actually. One of my favorites is I can't remember the year, but it's a Chevy Nova. Uh, I like I like super basic, you know, simple. It's 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 raw, and I really like that. Actually, my my personal daily car is is fairly basic. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I do have to ask a Porsche specific question, so my listeners, please forgive me. But for the nineteen ninety nine 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 six in that era, is the IMS bearing that big of a deal or not? Present day, it is not. I feel that any there was only a, an issue for some models for a range of years, but they've all been dealt with at this point. If they haven't been dealt with, that if it was if it was to have become an issue and it hadn't been dealt with, it would have blown up at this, by this point. Um, anything that's lasted this time, it's, it's, they've already been dealt with. I don't I don't feel like people need to worry about it anymore. But for peace of mind, and it hasn't been a dealt with, it's not that terrible a job. By this time, you will probably need a new clutch already, and if you're already in there, it's not a big deal to, to have that addressed. Yeah, okay. I appreciate that insight. So for our listeners, basically, the long and the short of it is this particular model of Porsche kind of had a, a rap about having a bearing that could go out, and basically the whole engine would explode. You hear these horrible stories, and I was always told, well, if it hasn't done it by the time it hits 30,000 miles, it's not going to do it. Just factor that into the price when you buy. You know, factor four or five grand for a new clutch, yeah. new IMS bearing, and if it hasn't been done, just do it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, before we wrap up, there is a little game I like to play, and I did not give you a heads up on this, which is the fun part, but it's a <laughs> little game called Keep, Cash, and Crush. So I give you three cars, and you have to pick one to keep forever, one to cash in, and then one to send to the crusher, unfortunately. So are you ready? I am ready. Okay, so no surprise, I'm giving you three Porsches. I am going to give you a a new GT3. Have you seen one of those in person yet? I have. 992 GT3, I sure have. Yeah, so that's one of the cars. The next car, I'm giving you three different generations here. The next car is a 1965 356C Cabriolet. 
And the third car is a 1989 911 Turbo 930 with the five-speed. So those are the three cars, the 1965 356C Cabriolet, the new GT3, and a 1989 Turbo. So which one will you keep forever? Which one will you cash in? And then which one will you send to the crusher and why? Wait, do I have to send it to the crusher? (laughs) I wouldn't send any of those to the crusher. (laughs) So if you're having trouble, just give me number one, two, and three, and then I'll say the painful words. That one's going into the crusher. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I would would cash in... Oh. (laughs) I would cash in that 356. I would keep the 930, and unfortunately, only because it's the only option left, is to crush the 992 GT3. <laughs> really? Okay. Only because I had to. I'm interested. <laughs> That's interesting that you went in that order. So to explain the uh, the thought process there. Uh, the thought, thought process, because I know the value of the 356s. Yep. Uh, the 930, because I that's, that's, that's just what I would love to have. And the 930, only because I prefer the air-cooled over the water-cooled. Okay. Those are the only reasons. Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, that's awesome. Well, I do know you're fairly active on Instagram. So if you would, tell our listeners the best way to learn more about you and see some of the cool pictures you're taking. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram under at dear underscore new, where I post mostly uh, my day-to-day, actually, it's mostly parts with puns. And then sometimes I'll include, <laughs> sometimes I'll do videos uh, of my work. Um, and then sometimes I've been including more stuff of myself. Okay. No, that's really great. Yeah, and I'll have all of these links, including to your IG, in the description. So thank you so much for your time today, New. No, Greg, thank you. This was wonderful. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.